If you haven't already turned to Genesis 1, go ahead and uh, turn there. Uh, We're going to be focusing uh, mostly on the last half of that whole uh, long passage that Cecil read earlier. Uh, We'll we'll tell you a little bit about the first half, but we're going to mostly focus our time on the application of that uh, in verses, I believe it's 26 through 31, where it talks about us. If you've been following the previous two weeks uh, in the study guides that are on the inside of your bulletin there, uh, those are uh, for you to take home and to, to sort of think about and meditate through what we're talking about on Sundays, and it's also the curriculum we use for our life groups, our small groups that meet on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Uh, If you have been studying in a life group or you've been taking these study guides home, you'll remember that what we're saying here in Genesis 1 is that God, and this is the big idea for us today that continues to shape how we read and think about what we'll be talking about today. God is putting together a context. Creation and his moving in creation is about putting together a context where God can make himself known. Think about that for just a second. God is ordering the material stuff of the universe so that he can indwell that matter. Think about, think about how huge that is of a statement. Think about the truth contained there. He is putting himself, his spirit, his holiness, his perfection. He is somehow taking who he is in his character and his nature and putting it into material stuff. Somehow squeezing infinity and that Holy Spirit into finite and into limited material stuff of the earth. That truth alone is crazy. That is what he is making happen here in creation. Now, the specific context within which he makes that happen, that specific context within which he makes himself known, he reveals himself, is the earth. It's the earth. And and the reason he reveals himself is because his nature is goodness, and he wants to bring order to a disordered chaos. We've talked about all that the last couple of weeks uh, he wants to do this. this. This is his project because he is good, because his character and his nature, his heart is goodness. And, and he can't keep that to himself. In fact, to do so, if you're a perfectly infinite and holy being, is the ultimate act of selfishness and pride if it's kept to oneself. Think about that for a second. God, God for him to keep that goodness, is the ultimate act of selfishness and pride if it's not shared. For you and me, it's the opposite. But he's the one being in the universe, for whom giving of himself is a necessary consequent of who he is. He can't help it. He has to. It's his goodness. It's his character. He must give himself to us. And for him not to is the ultimate act of selfishness and pride. And as we know, as the story will continue in the next couple of weeks, we need him to give himself to us more desperately than we can possibly imagine, this side of heaven. So what this means is that Genesis 1 here 
is the beginning, not simply of a story of how things came into being, but of who God is. Genesis 1 is about who God is and how he works in the world. This, this story is a redemption story. God created the heavens and the earth. Well, in the beginning of that time of him bringing redemption, he created the heavens of the earth. You might as well say, when God began creating the heavens and the earth so that he could reveal himself, here's what happened. And this whole question for us in this text is, is this. Are we going to fittingly participate in his redemption plan? The big picture question for us is not, where does stuff come from? That, 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 that's rather kind of immaterial, ironically. The main questions are not, I, I wonder what this tells us about how long a day is. The Bible doesn't particularly care about the kinds of questions we bring to the table. Because the Bible presupposes all of the existence of God and of matter before we even get to the text. So we pick up a story that says, this is about his plan of redemption. We pick up that redemption story today in verse 14. 14 through 31, where God continues to shape the cosmos, specifically uh, earth, so that we can have relationship with him, so that he could reveal himself. Now, the first three days of creation, as we talked about a little bit last week, the first three days of creation describe the forming of the earth, and the second three describe its filling. We'll see this order, this pattern today. You see, God is not chaotic. He is a God of order, and he does things to shape them for a purpose, and order is part of that purpose. So we see this pattern all throughout the scripture here. We see forming and filling. Forming and filling. Day one will be a form, a place for something to happen. And day four will be the inhabitants, the functionaries, the things that inhabit that form, the things that fill that form. Day two will describe something, and then day five will fill it. Day three will describe the form, and day six will describe all of the inhabitants of that form. If you've uh, already noted there... I've given you um, a pretty cool little graphic here uh, in your bulletin. We are not going to have a lot of time to unpack days four through six, except to note a couple things in just a second. But I want you to see uh, God's ordering of creation here. God's doing things in a specific way for a specific purpose. There's, there's, there's even literary structure that underlies this text that shows us that God is a God of order, that he's making something happen for a purpose. Uh, you'll see here in days four to six that that reflects the order that God is bringing, this forming and filling pattern. If you look at day one, uh, there's a function of light and dark, and day four is the functionary. It's, it's like saying there's, there's a location for something, and the inhabitants of that location. So day one is light and dark, and then in day four, he begins to make the seasons and the sun and the moon and the stars and the functionaries that carry out that purpose that was set forth in day one. Same in day five there. You see that day two is about the expanse and the waters. And then if you go down to day five there, God 
puts swimming and flying creatures and, and puts those inhabitants in that form. And then on uh, day three and six, you see the same kind of a uh, relationship. Uh, he makes the form of the, the oceans, the lands, and the, the lakes, and he fills that with creatures and with mankind. Uh, we can unpack that a little more, but uh, suffice it to say, for, for our purposes today, that even the way God goes about ordering his creation, it reflects his desire, as we're thinking about, it reflects his desire to be a God who is known, who is revealed, and can, be, ha- and can have a relationship with his creation. Now, go with me for a little bit through those first few verses. We're going to note just a few things in 14 to 25 in that first half so that we can set up what we'll say in uh, 26 to 31. Look at the beginning of verse 18 there. Uh, Verse 18, it says, to rule over the day and over the night. This is the first indication, and if you're taking notes, it's the first indication of dominion over something. It's the first indication of dominion over something. It was already stated twice in verse 16. It says, to rule the day and the lesser night, to rule the night. and then verse 18, ruling over the day and over the night. We'll see that idea of dominion continue to be developed later on in the text. Uh, look at the end of verse 19. There was evening and there was morning, uh, the fourth day. I'm sorry, uh, the end of verse uh, 18. It says, God saw that it was good. Uh, we've seen this previously in the first few days except for day two. Uh, God saw that it was good. There's that repeated use of the word good, time and again. Uh, That repeated use of that word is a statement about the purpose of creation and its natural place, its natural state as good. But you see, creation was good, and this is the part to note. Creation was good not because of something about it inherently, but because God made it. Because it came from God's character and nature. He inhabited it with his goodness and his purpose. Now, don't just gloss over that because it's huge for our understanding of this passage. It's a statement that will continue to hold true for all of our salvation in our life. Creation is good, not because of something that is inherent in us materially, but because God inhabits us. That's a freeing truth that we will continue to learn throughout our whole Christian life, the sight of heaven. Verse 20, it says this, Let the waters swarm with swarms. It's kind of a funny way to say it. The Hebrews, uh, the the Jews would often do that. They'd repeat something to say, hey, it's it's not just swarming. It's like swarming, swarming. Uh, It's another indication of this sort of dominion, of this, this rule that we talked about earlier. It doesn't say, let the waters be found with a little bit of a creature here and there. Uh, It says, continue to make creatures. Let the waters swarm with swarms. It's a statement about the bigness of God. You know, they continue to discover uh, species after species uh, of kinds of fish that they've never even known about. In, In all of creation, they continue to discover things that they had no idea existed. No idea. 
And it just continues to happen. I, I don't know this. I, I'm not an, uh, a scientist who knows these things. But I, but I bet that someday we'll get to heaven and God will say, you haven't discovered the half of it. The waters swarmed with swarms in ways that you couldn't even measure. So it's a statement about the largeness, the, the, the greatness, the infinitude of God. And it's about also the purpose of fish to continue making more fish. There are lots of them. Then there are supposed to be more of them. Verse 21 says uh, that, that they're to be made according to their kinds. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a foretaste of what we'll, we'll see about us later on in the passage. We'll see that made even more explicit in day six with humanity. Look at uh, verse 22. Uh, this dominion, this rule idea is unpacked even more here in verse 22. It says, God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. This is, this is obviously something God wants us to see about our purposes that is demonstrated in the rest of creation. We see some of our purpose in the rest of creation. It's obvious that the Israelites, and, and you can see why Catholics don't believe in birth control. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill, blessing, and multiplication somehow go hand in hand. There's an obvious link here between God's blessing and being fruitful and multiplying and filling. And so we're beginning to see, beginning to see a little bit at a time, a clearer picture for our purpose as humans, even as demonstrated from the created order outside of us. Verses 24 and 25, it's more of the same. It says, uh, to bring forth, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And then five times in two verses, it says, according to their kinds, according to their kind, according to their kinds. And to do that, at the end of that verse, it says, was good. God looked at that and he saw that that was good. So when we get to the verses about us, when we get to verses 26 to 31, where we become flesh and bones, the scene is set for God to make explicit, to make clear His purpose for us as part of creation. If you're taking notes, it might be a good one to write down this question. What does it mean for me to fittingly participate in the order that God has established? What does it mean, what does it mean for me to fit in the world. There's almost no, no larger question we ask for us as humans. What does it mean for me to meaningfully, purposefully participate in the way that God has made the world? You see, creation by this time was, was full in a sense but there was more to come. It was ready for its ultimate fullness in the creation 
of humanity. And, and, and here in verse 26 to 31, it's sort of like the story slows down. It's sort of like you get slow motion here because there's a lot of time spent on these verses, far more than all of those other days that are spent describing what's created there. So there's an obvious difference, a distinction between everything else and us. It's the apex, it's the, it's the climax of this narrative in the first chapter. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That, that word man there is a, is a generic word for humanity. It doesn't say, and this is important, it doesn't say, let us make a man. Sorry, it doesn't say that. It says, let us make mankind as sort of the generic term for all of humanity. Let's make humans. This is where we get the idea uh, of, of being made in our image after the likeness of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Being made in his likeness is where we get the idea that we are created to be reflections. We are created to be reflections, imagers, pictures of God. We are people, and this is why we are different than the creation before us. We are people who can, in a sense like the creation, but in a sense different, we can make known something about God. Remember we talked about him ordering creation so that he can make himself known to us. One of the most substantial ways he does that is through humanity. Think about that for a second. We are created to be imagers, pictures, reflections of infinite, perfect, holy God. That's why you exist. That is why you are. You are an imager, a place, a body where God's character and nature and his goodness can be known and made known. In fact, that word here for image is used by Moses intentionally because it was a commonly known and used phrase to talk about a king, a king who was the visible representative of a deity. Now, for them in, in, in Egyptian, ancient Near Eastern culture, they were a visible representation on earth of lots of small g gods. But, but that same kind of term is meant for us, that we are pictures, visible representations of the one true God. It's a real clue for us about why he's made us and, and why he's created us. It goes on, it says this, And let them... Obviously, it's talking about all humankind, them. Let them have dominion. There's that special word that we talked about before, that rule, that dominion. That's a special word that describes our role and our purpose as imagers of God. We'll unpack that a little more. But it's a parallel to the word in uh, verses 16 and 17 that we talked about, and even 18 before. It's a parallel to that word of rule. And dominion means that it's some sort of responsibility to care for something. It's some sort of responsibility to be a steward of something. In this case, it says, 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That second phrase, male and female, he created them, is just a way to unpack that phrase before. He created both male and female in the image of God. Verse 28, and God blessed them. There was a hint of that blessing that started earlier in the passage. It's beginning to be made more explicit here. Verse 28, God blessed them. In other words, he sort of paved the way for them. He made it possible for them to carry out this dominion. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground, on the earth. All of these words, fruitful, multiply, subdue, dominion, they describe our purpose as humans. And then God said, verse 29, God said, behold. He's like, hey, check it out. Come, come, come see what I've given you. See what I've provided for you. I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. These are the things over which humanity is a steward of God's purposes. As imagers of God, we are called to be stewards of those things he's given us. In verse 30 and 31, finish it up, it says, And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I want us to focus for just a second about the truth that we are Image bearers of God. What does it mean to say that we are created in God's image? Uh, really briefly here, I'm just going to name three things. Um, if you want to talk about it later, we can. Um, one thing that we see here in the text is that it means that we are hearers, hearers of the word of God. We can actually hear from God. It is significant that immediately after God had created man and woman in his image, he spoke to them. He doesn't speak to everything else. He speaks and makes those things happen, but he doesn't speak to them. He speaks to us. It says, and God blessed them, and he said to them. That means that we as image bearers uh, can hear and receive God's word. Another thing that it means is that we are rulers, that we are uh, people who have that dominion, that authority. Uh, it is significant that God calls his image bearers to rule and to have dominion over the earth. He does that in verses 26 and in verses, verse, uh, verse 28. He views his image bearers, in a sense, as sort of vice 
regents, as, as royal figures like him. This is what Psalm 8 says that we started our service with. It says, when I look at your heavens, the truth of this is what the psalmist is amazed about. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That's talking about us as image bearers. And the incredible responsibility we are given as a part of God's creation. The last thing it means for us to say that we are image bearers is that we are sons. We are sons and daughters of God throughout throughout all of Scripture, this idea of sonship, that we are sons and daughters of God, distinguishes human life from all other life. In Genesis 5, we read that Adam fathered a son in his own likeness and in his own image. That idea of sonship continues through us. The idea is picked up in the Gospel of Luke later on, where it calls Adam the son of God. Small s, son of God. For us, being, in a sense, sons and daughters of God means that our true Father isn't to be found in this room or on a genealogical chart or in your bloodline, but that you are made first and foremost to be God's, to be someone made from God who can bear the goodness of his image to others you can be material body place a location that God fills the truth of that is mind-boggling and flies in the face of everything we are taught from day one that this is about you and I building our own little earthly kingdoms so that we can be satisfied and content with ourselves. And we can make it securely in the world without hurt. Friends, he's given us this body to use for the sake of his cause and his kingdom and not our own. You are made small K kings for him to be the capital K king. From the foundation of the world before your parents ever called you son or daughter, you were first made of him to be an image bearer for his cause and for his glory. Let's watch a little video that speaks to this truth about how we are given this responsibility and how he loves us enough to give us that purpose in our lives. Our world is filled with creators, people that craft wonderful works of art, literature, sculpture, and story. When they sit down to create, a blank slate is before them. Nothing stands in the way 
of what they can design or construct. There are no limits. With the stroke of a pen, the whip of a paintbrush, or the working of their fingers, they capture human emotion, sensation, and passion. This beautiful art displayed in the world around us is reflective of an even greater creator, the greatest creator of all, God. When God sat down to construct this world, nothing stood in his way. The huge snow-capped mountains, colorful sunsets, and the vast night sky were all whispered into being with just a few words. He carved out the great canyons and painted the fields with wild flowers. He pushed the glaciers across the immense continents, etching out lakes and rivers. And then on the sixth day of his work, God formed his greatest creation, mankind. He gave life to humanity, forming and structuring a beautiful reflection of his likeness. And God called this very good. But the amazing thing is he did the same for you. The blank canvas God started with has now been transformed into a piece of art that has shape, form, texture, and purpose. To him, you are a wonderful and beautiful creation, precious, loved, and very, very good. You are a wonderful and beautiful creation, precious, loved, and very, very good. <laughs>